Hi, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. My name is Adiel Moore, and I am your host. This is episode number 33, and introducing a new segment at the start of each episode, whatever number episode it is, I will tell you about a player from any sport, any league, any team that wore that number. I'm going to call it Numbers Game because it's my podcast and I can do what I want. The number today, 33. The player, you're going to sense a theme in this podcast, is Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen, a native of Hamburg, Arkansas. He's currently 54 years old. He played from 1987 to 2004 in the NBA, over 1,100 games played, averaging 16 points a game, six rebounds, and five assists. Scotty was a six-time NBA champion with the Chicago Bulls, a seven-time NBA All-Star. Three times he was All-NBA First Team. Eight times he was NBA All-Defensive First Team. Scotty Pippen, one of the great Chicago Bulls of all time, one of the great basketball players of all time, and specifically one of the best defenders of all time. That is your player for today's episode, today's segment, the very first ever of Numbers Game. Scotty Pippen. So, episode 33, what are we talking about today? Well, I have found myself defending the Bengals again in my head, not publicly until I record this podcast, and I think about it and I know that time heals all. I miss sports, and again, I've reached that point in the calendar where I'm drinking the Bengals Kool-Aid once again. Plus, an NFL running back signed a record-breaking extension this week leading to more conversation about the running back position and its value. Was it the right move for that franchise to sign that player? Plus, two terribly sad deaths to report. A racial slur, the Indianapolis Colts have a new logo, news from the XFL, and I'm answering your Instagram questions. But first, the Chicago Bulls. After years of losing a botched rebuild and continuing disconnect with the fan base, the Bulls have made the decision to finally part ways with GM Gar Foreman and reduce the role of John Paxson, the two men that have been in charge of the Bulls' basketball operations for the last decade plus. On Monday, Bulls president and chief operating officer Michael Reinsdorf announced the team had hired Arturis Karnasovis as the executive vice president of basketball operations. His task? Well, simple. Turn the franchise around and build the team that will win the seventh championship in franchise history and the first without Michael Jordan. For years, Bulls fans have grown impatient and frustrated with Foreman and Paxson, commonly referred to as Gar Pax, who, after all, got the Bulls into this mess. That's not to say they weren't entirely unsuccessful. Under the duo, the Bulls drafted the likes of Derrick Rose, Taj Gibson, Joakim Noah, Jimmy Butler, Lori Markinen and Kobe White. And to be honest, some of those teams at the start of the last decade were, in my opinion, good enough to not only get to the NBA Finals, but win them, had it not been for a man by the name of LeBron James. After Derrick Rose's multiple knee injuries and the franchise's decision to move on from him, quite honestly, nothing's been the same in Chicago, and Foreman and Paxson have been the blame, been to blame. But one of those two deserves credit for where the franchise stands today. According to longtime Bulls beat writer for Bulls.com and the legendary Sam Smith, 
Paxson, a former bull that won championships with Jordan himself, went to the Reinsdorf family and acknowledged that it was time for a change and he wasn't afraid to reduce his role if it meant that's what was best for the franchise. So now with those two out of the way and Karnasovas in charge, what's next? Well, Karnasovas has already announced the hiring of an assistant GM, J.J. Polk of the New Orleans Pelicans, and will begin narrowing down the list of names and conducting virtual interviews with candidates to be the next general manager of the Chicago Bulls. This is truly a turning point for a franchise whose last turning point was Derrick Rose's knee injury, and for a franchise that has found itself consistently trying to get out of Michael Jordan's shadow and into a new era of championship-quality basketball. The core is there, and if you're a Bulls fan, there's a lot to be excited about when it comes to the talent on the floor. But now there's a lot to be excited about in the front office as well. As a Bulls fan that has struggled to watch this team over the past few seasons, who has struggled with coaching changes, the awful tenure of Fred Hoiberg, now Jim Boylan, the current head coach, his future is in the air. You see talent, but you don't see results, and it's frustrating. And the Bulls are one of the most prestigious and well-respected franchises in the NBA. It was tough to see them go through this. But now for the first time in years, for the first time since Derrick Rose won that MVP award, truly there's hope. Arturis Karnasovas, the new man in charge of the basketball operations department for the Bulls, he's got a lot on his plate. But he's got Bulls fans behind him. Because for the last six or seven years, it has been... No holds barred at Gar Pax. Bulls fans have been pissed off and angry. And deservedly so, understandably so. So as a Bulls fan, I might not sound like it, but I'm excited. LeBron James is in the Western Conference. No one in the East scares me. And you finally have people that seem to know what they're doing in the front office. With a good young core, the future is bright for Chicago Bulls basketball. I don't know what's gotten into my teams this offseason. You look at the Reds, who spent hundreds of millions of dollars, were aggressive in their pursuit of being a World Series contender. You look at the Cincinnati Bengals, who have spent over $150 million in free agency, more than any time in the franchise's history. Easily the most groundbreaking, aggressive, and unforeseen offseason in franchise history. And then the Bulls doing what they just did. You know, I have talked on this podcast several times before about the Bengals and about how frustrated I am with them. How frustrated I am with ownership. How frustrated I am with the dysfunction of the franchise at times. But every year, usually around the draft, up until... The start of the season, I really drink the Kool-Aid on the Bengals. I'm guilty of it. I do it every year. I convince myself that it's going to be different. It's a sick cycle that I go through. But at the same time, there are times when, when the Bengals are treated unfairly in the media. 
and I have talked about this on previous podcasts. I don't think they have been treated all that unfairly this offseason until today. When on SportsCenter, the great Stephen A. Smith was asked, who would have a better NFL career, Tua Tagovailoa or Joe Burrow? Here's what Stephen A. had to say. Well, I'm going to say Tua because he doesn't have to play for the Cincinnati Bengals. Let's just call it what it is. I mean, that's the black cat running around. That's football's version of purgatory. Who the hell would want to play for the Cincinnati Bengals? I mean, getting them to get a playoff victory is like Christmas coming three years earlier. I mean, that's how pathetic this franchise has been in terms of what they've done in the postseason for their citizens in that cold city. You'd like to believe that Joe Burrow could get some things done. Andy Dalton wasn't a scrub, but he looked like one by the time they got through it. With him, along with a plethora of other quarterbacks that have been stained by that cheap, ineffective franchise. I don't think it's good for anybody to be playing for the Cincinnati Bengals, even if you are an Ohio native like Joe Burrow. In the meantime, you've got Tua, who could end up in Detroit if Matt Patricia and those guys decided to take him. He could end up in Miami. Chris Greer and Brian Flores are building something special there. Keep your eyes on that, or the Chargers, or the New England Patriots. I say any of those situations are better situation than the Cincinnati Bengals because we we're talking about football with the other teams with the Cincinnati Bengals franchise we're touching up we're touching and talking about something far more incendiary they just seem inept on too many occasions primarily because they're cheap so there are parts of that that Stephen A. Smith is correct about the first one being the postseason it's been brutal And that's the Bengals' cross to bear. But I would hardly consider the Bengals' football purgatory. Or that there were a plethora of quarterbacks that have had their careers die in Cincinnati. See, the Bengals have had 10 different quarterbacks start a game in the last 20 years. 10 quarterbacks starting a game in 20 years. And of those 10 quarterbacks, only five of them have started five or fewer games. Think about that. So of the 10 starting quarterbacks, five of them started less than five games. The other quarterbacks to start more than five games, Andy Dalton, Carson Palmer, John Kitna, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Akili Smith. Fitzpatrick started because of an injury to Palmer, and the Akili Smith project, well, that was a failure. I'll give you that one. But the point remains, that is hardly a plethora of quarterbacks where their careers have gone to die, and it's hardly football purgatory. The Cleveland Browns, by the way, have had 30 quarterbacks, over 30 quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks in that same time frame. That's quarterback purgatory. That's football purgatory. That's where quarterback careers go to die. From 2010 until 2017, the Bengals were 69-57-2 the 10th best regular season record in the entire NFL. That's not football purgatory. That's a successful franchise. Now, like I said, the playoffs, that's different. But that's not football purgatory. See, if you figured out by now, the team with the worst record in the NFL gets the number one overall pick in the draft. The Bengals were the worst team this year, and that's why they have that pick but they haven't drafted number one overall since 2003. That's 17 years. Does that sound like football purgatory to you? 
Oh, by the way, with that pick, they used it on a Heisman Trophy-winning quarterback who had a pretty successful NFL career. There are problems, yes. There is dysfunction, yes. But Cincinnati and the Bengals are nowhere near football purgatory. Cleveland would like a, Cleveland would like a word. Detroit would like a word. There's a few other franchises there that are pretty damn bad as well that don't even touch the Cincinnati Bengals. Another lazy narrative, and you know what? I can't blame them that much. What else do they have to talk about? Stephen A. Smith has done this time and time again in his career. He's made quite a good living off of it, being completely unprepared for something and just flying by the seat of his pants. I'm not surprised. I'm just annoyed. In other NFL news, the Carolina Panthers and running back Christian McCaffrey agreed on a contract extension that will make McCaffrey the highest-paid running back in NFL history, averaging $16 million per year. The Panthers are a franchise with a new owner, a new head coach, and they just lost three of their most beloved players in franchise history, Cam Newton, Greg Olson, and Luke Keekley. They needed a face of the franchise. Even after signing Teddy Bridgewater this offseason to see to be the starting quarterback, and he might honestly just be a bridge quarterback, it's still without question that McCaffrey is the face of that franchise. But it brings up the question, in today's NFL, are running backs worth that much? That position continues to seem as the most dispensable position in the league. Easily replaceable. You look at players in the past... And it's truly the only position where it seems there is a bona fide snap count, a number of touches. Once a player reaches a certain age, he's just not the same. That's not that way for quarterbacks. It's not that way for wide receivers. Hasn't been that way for defensive ends or linebackers or corners. But with running backs, there's been very few exceptions. Jerome Bettis is probably the only one that comes to mind. That dude seemingly got better after he turned 30. But most running backs don't, and in today's league, there's more passing the football than there ever has been before. McCaffrey has proved to be a dual threat when it comes to that. So sure, maybe you consider him more than just a running back, but it does pose a question about the future of that position. You look at a guy like Zeke Elliott. He doesn't do nearly as much in the pass game as Christian McCaffrey does. And up until McCaffrey's deal, Zeke was the highest paid running back in the league. Teams simply don't do this anymore. And the teams that have, have regretted it. The New York Jets, for one, with Le'Veon Bell. The Dallas Cowboys are having problems signing their quarterback and building a Super Bowl caliber team because of the amount of money that Zeke Elliott makes. And so you wonder about the future of the Panthers. Are they going to be able to truly build a Super Bowl caliber roster with a running back taking up that much money? I don't know. It's a good question. But he is the face of the franchise, so maybe he is worth that much. I wonder where they're going to be four years from now, five years from now, when the beef of that contract takes over, And they're expected to be a competitive team. I'm not sure what to think. The Indianapolis Colts unveiled a secondary logo and several uniform tweaks earlier this week. 
But there's a man on Twitter claiming that the Colts ripped off his logo design and are using it as their own. His name, well, to be quite honest with you, I don't know his first name. He just goes by Coach Kabuski. Coach Kabuski used to coach at Indianapolis Cathedral, where he created a logo with a C, and inside that C, the state of Indiana. Well, you guessed it, the Colts have the same exact new logo. He said in a tweet, quote, Good to know that even though I'm in Wisconsin now, I can still contribute to life in Indy. Thank you, Colts, for ripping off my logo for at Cathedral Football. He goes on to provide several different accounts on his account of times the logo was used on Cathedral merchandise, on advertising, in videos. The Colts have had no comment. You can check him out. Check out his page. At Coach Kabuski, K-U-B-U-S-K-E. Former Seahawks, Vikings, and Bills quarterback Tavares Jackson was killed in a car accident over the weekend. He was 36 years old. Jackson played 10 seasons in the NFL, mostly as a backup, and threw for 39 career touchdowns. After his playing days, he had started a coaching career at his alma mater, Alabama State, before being named the quarterback's coach at Tennessee State. Additional headlines, another sad death to report. As Jacqueline Cruz, the mother of NBA star Carl Anthony Towns, passed away this week due to complications from coronavirus. The Timberwolves issued a statement. The Timberwolves organization is incredibly saddened to hear of the passing of Jacqueline Towns due to complications from COVID-19. In the four years plus we were fortunate to know Jackie, she became part of our family. Her passion for life and her family was palpable. As Carl's number one fan, Jackie provided constant and positive energy for him and was beloved by our entire organization and staff at Target Center as she supported her son and the Timberwolves. The league, teams, and players have come together in their support of Jackie and Carl, and we are grateful for our NBA family. We would like to thank all the doctors, nurses, and medical personnel who cared for Jackie during her illness and all of Carl's fans who sent their support this past month. Our deepest condolences go out to Carl and his family during this difficult time. Continuing to switch gears, and there's no easy way to go in and out of two stories about death. NASCAR driver Kyle Larson has been fired by Chip Ganassi Racing after he used the N-word during a virtual race over the weekend. Larson, thinking no one could hear him, loudly and comfortably said the word. His sponsors immediately dropped him, and his team did the same shortly thereafter. So, well, that was a lot. Uh, those are your headlines really from the week and despite the fact that there was no sports that is quite a bit to talk about and uh, I was happy to talk about it I asked on my Instagram where you can follow me by the way at Audie Elmore A-U-T-Y-E-L-M-O-R-E for your Instagram questions and I said don't be afraid to get deep let me let me you know let's get deep here what do you what's on your mind let's answer those questions now Some of these are related to COVID-19. Some of them are random. Uh, I'll try to do everything in the best order that I can or whatever makes the most sense. First one here says cheese or cake. 
that's tough. Um, I, I guess I'm not huge into cake, but I like cheese on a lot of things. But I've been trying not to eat much cheese at all. Um, so I guess it's a toss up. But I'll I'll lean towards cheese just because of of Mexican food. Um. Hi, my name is Thomas, and I live in Argentina. The next year, I'm going to be studying in Miami, so I'd like to practice my English. Would you help me? No, because you're a bot. Instagram, fix it. What do you think about the Hoying guy playing baseball in South Korea? He's from Shelby County. Yeah, that's Jared Hoying, I believe is his name. He went to Fort Laramie, and uh, he has has carved out a a relatively successful career um, in baseball. I know he spent some time with the Texas Rangers, spent a few years in the minor leagues here in the United States, and now he's over Overseas, I don't know the status of the baseball league in South Korea. I know that the Taiwanese league got back underway with with cardboard cutouts in the stands this week. Um, So that is good news. But uh, I don't know much about the South Korean league, but I know that it is pretty popular, baseball in Korea and and over there in general. So good for him, man. That's pretty cool. There's a a couple people from from Shelby County, which if you're not familiar with Shelby County is where I'm from in in Midwestern Ohio. but there are a, a, few, a couple people from from the area that are in the big leagues right now, which is pretty cool. Um, this kind of coincides with that. This says, how do you feel about Pittsburgh? Well, my feelings about Pittsburgh have been well, well stated uh, to my closest friends over the years. Uh, but to be quite honest, it's, it's a terrible place. It's terrible people. Um, very little class. Nothing good comes from there. Um, people that, that generally aren't very smart, they aren't very good looking, uh, they're mean, they're rude, and uh, overall, bad city, bad people, bad place. Uh, wouldn't walk across the street to go to Pittsburgh. But I actually, you know, I take that back. I would go to PNC Park. They say it's beautiful. Dirty team, bad organization, but probably a pretty cool stadium. I'd go there. Um... Three all-time favorite songs and three all-time favorite artists. Now, this is tough because I'm not a huge music guy, but I know that my all-time favorite artist is Eminem. And you look back at Eminem in the late 90s to early 2000s is one of the greatest, seriously one of the single greatest careers, one of the greatest runs of any musician ever. He was absolutely absurd. And... People will get on me about this, and that's fine. But Eminem, for me, is is the best rapper that has ever walked the face of the earth. And there are plenty of good rappers that are right there with him. But in my opinion, Eminem is the best. And so with that, I have an all-time favorite song. Because I think The Real Slim Shady, when that song came out, man, that, that might be one of the single greatest pieces of music ever composed. And I'm not kidding about that. The Real Slim Shady is an incredible song. Uh, just awesome um my other favorite song would probably be i believe i can fly because i used to listen to that on repeat because of space jam and michael jordan um i would not be able to put r kelly because of the things he's done well you know i don't know if i i could put r kelly in there but also because i was going to say my next i couldn't say i i I was going to say i couldn't put r kelly in there because of the things he's done off you know outside the studio off the record but then I was going to say my next favorite all-time artist would probably be Michael Jackson. I love Michael Jackson. So we're going to leave everything out of it. We're just going to focus on their career. So Eminem and Michael Jackson for sure. Um, and I, I would also say Billy G. I mean, there's so many. 
you could pretty much insert any Michael Jackson song ever and and it would it would probably be one of my all-time favorite songs um and I'm trying to think of of a country artist because there's basically three three styles of music I listen to which is like hip hip hop and rap pop and country and I got the hip hop and rap and I got the country or I got the the pop uh but I don't know I'm trying to think of a country artist. I love Florida Georgia Line. I really truly do love Florida Georgia Line. Um Yeah, I you know, I, I'm not I don't know many songs like the actual names of songs, you know? Like I said, I'm not a huge <laughs> huge music guy, but Yeah, I would say I would probably I guess Florida Georgia Line would probably be my all-time my my other favorite artist. And I've seen them in in concert twice and they were amazing uh so yeah i don't i don't have a third all-time favorite song it's number one is i believe i can fly number two is um the real slim shady and uh yeah i guess that's that's probably it okay let's keep going sorry 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 that was a good question thank you uh we've got some coronavirus questions in here do you think the government will open May 1st? No, I don't think the government will open. I'm assuming you mean the economy will open May 1st or states or whatever. I don't know where we'll be May 1st. I think we'll start to see slowly but surely businesses and and kind of more normalcy and, and things being, you know, a little, the, the reins being loosened a little bit. I think you'll start to see that slightly um, by May 1st, but I don't think things will be totally open by then. And, um, you know, it's, it's been really tough, honestly, for me, I, I, I really struggle to put any faith in, in our American leadership at the moment, because, you know, I, I have faith in the governor. Uh, I have the governor of Ohio. Um, but that's, that's honestly where my faith stops, uh, when it comes to, uh, to people actually in charge in the government. I don't, I don't think that, uh, not to get political, but I think we're, we're in bad shape with those uh, those leaders in Washington. Um, will and how or how or will team owners make a concerted effort to get fans back in the stands after COVID nineteen? Will sports fans who will be laid off or have large medical expenses afford sporting events? And do you think sports will come back stronger than ever with a diminished role or with a diminished role after COVID nineteen? These are three good questions. Let me start from the bottom up there. Do you think sports will come back stronger than ever or with a diminished role in COVID-19? I think they will probably come back stronger than ever. Um, because I think people maybe realize how much they take it for granted. I think it could change the way sports are viewed in person. I don't think, though, that there will be any diminished role or I don't think there will be any negative side effects long term to sports because of this. And I don't think that by the end of the year this year, I don't think that we'll have full stadiums. I really don't. I don't. I think maybe the next time you have a full stadium for a major sporting event could be the Super Bowl in February. That's that's kind of what I think, or maybe the national championship in college football. Um, which kind of leads to the next question: Will sports fans who may be laid off or have large medical expenses be able to afford sporting events? Uh, the short answer is no, because the teams are trying to make money as well, and they're losing a lot of money right now. But it is the people in these organizations and in these franchises' job to understand 
their consumers, to understand their demographic. And if you don't understand this, then you're in the wrong business when it comes to marketing and promoting a particular franchise. So I think there will have to be ways to get creative and get butts back in the seats, whether that means lowering your ticket prices, slashing concessions, working with local nonprofits, finding ways to get people, just get them in the ballpark. Let's say use baseball, for example. This is a a topic that has been broached a lot of times, specifically with kids in baseball, is why should you charge money for kids to come to baseball games just get them in the ballpark and people in general why are baseball tickets so high in some places just get them in the ballpark they'll spend money when they get there and I think overall that's probably what will happen and I I I wonder about that but I don't know when it comes down to it at the at the by the time that it happens where the the stadiums are open to open to the public again I think people would would have their pocketbooks a little more fat and sassy than they are now, and I think they'll probably be better off. Will slash how will team owners make a concerted effort to get fans back in the stands? I think it's going to have to be that they're open, they're understanding, and they know that people want to be there and they want to be safe. So they're going to have to convince people that they're safe. They're going to have to convince people that they're not just after their buck or the last dollar that they have. They're trying to convince people that they're going to have a good time and be able to appreciate um you know, the, the team and the organization. There's a couple owners that I look to that, that come to mind right away because I expect them to handle this with absolute class. The first one is Arthur Blank. He owns the uh, he, he owns Atlanta United in the MLS. He owns the Atlanta Falcons. He's spectacular with this kind of thing. He just gets it. I'm, ex- I'm excited to see how he handles it and what he does for the fans in Atlanta. I think about Steve Ballmer, the owner of the L.A. Clippers, who is fired up and jacked up all the time is an understanding man and and someone that's very, very smart. Mark Cuban, the same way with the Dallas Mavericks who has already started working on efforts to, to help people in the Dallas area. So I'm interested to see how guys like that um, step up and what they do. And then uh, I think you'll start to see more owners uh, follow suit because those guys are, are the cream of the crop when it comes to that. And uh, I guess that's it. I guess that's all of the uh, the questions, the Instagram questions. Listen, this was fun. I, I, I know that things are a little bit different the way that this podcast sounded, but I have had all day to sit here and prepare and do this, and I just wanted to try something different. So let me know if you liked it. It was kind of, a, I guess, a storytelling format. And, um, yeah. But I'm sure I'll get fired up over stuff again eventually. I just kind of had a lot more notes and a lot more details that I wanted to come across, and I wanted to to be measured and um, and precise with those things, and I think I did a pretty good job of it. So thank you for listening. And uh, like I said, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Audielmore, A-U-T-Y-E-L-M-O-R. You can also go to YouTube and follow me there. You can subscribe, I should say, at youtube.com slash Audielmore. I've started a series there. Um, where I make one video per month highlighting my month, the story of that month. And uh, obviously we're three months into that. Three videos have been posted, so go check that out as well. And eventually down the line somewhere, some Ball Don't Lie podcast content when things start to settle down. So thank you for listening once again. And uh, next week, I I know I didn't talk much about it today, but next week we will only be a day or two away from the NFL draft. 
I have some stuff from Peter King that I want to talk about who wrote another excellent column, uh, Football Morning in America at NBCSports.com. And by the time that the next podcast comes out, he will reveal his mock draft and another column that I'm sure will be spectacular because this is going to be one of the most historic uh, groundbreaking and really most interesting NFL drafts in history because of the way it has to be done all virtually. So I'm excited to see how that happens. And I know that people are saying, well, you were just taking a crap on the draft last week. Yeah, I was, but the draft itself, I enjoy. the. It's everything else around it, like Stephen A. Smith and like people just making up mock drafts that really don't have any idea. I saw one, by the way, today, a full first – or it was Joel Klatt. Listen, I love Joel Klatt. I would do almost anything for Joel Klatt. He released a mock draft that didn't have Justin Herbert in the first round. That's what I'm talking about. These, these, these are just – it's a bunch of nonsense. Joel Klatt, fix it, I think. Maybe he did. I don't know. Anyways, that's it. That's all I got. I still don't really have an outro. Actually, I do. Um – yeah, ball don't lie. And uh, have fun. Be safe. Go Bucks. <laughs>